I'm Chris LaFave, and you're listening to The Vonnegast, a co-production by the Kurt Vonnegut Museum and Library on WQRT 99.1 FM, Indianapolis. In 1922, Kurt Vonnegut was welcomed to Earth. Over his 84 years, he became a beloved writer, known for his unflinching look at the world and an outspoken voice for free speech and common decency. Known for his unique, sardonic style, Vonnegut published 14 novels, three collections of short stories, five plays, and five works of nonfiction. In 2022, the Kurt Vonnegut Museum and Library are celebrating Vonnegut's 100th birthday. Join me and my co-host, Sam Bannon, as we explore the ways Vonnegut's legacy has shaped the lives of others and continues to make souls grow. From the Kurt Vonnegut Museum and Library, this is the Vonnegutcast. 2022 is the year of Vonnegut at 100, a century of stories. The Kurt Vonnegut Museum and Library has a full year of programs and events celebrating the life, work, and legacy of Kurt Vonnegut. Registration for our 11th annual Teaching Vonnegut Workshop Series this July is now open. Led by experts in their fields and Vonnegut scholars, workshops aim to enhance both public and educator knowledge on a variety of topics related to the works, interests, and philosophy of Kurt Vonnegut. Register today at kvml.org. Banned Books Week 2022 will be unlike any other. This week is dedicated to programming, raising awareness about the censorship and banning of art and books. We will also welcome KVML artists and residents who will be living in the museum to participate in an anti-censorship experiment. An ensemble of singers, songwriters, and musicians will write, rehearse, and perform an album of songs inspired by Vonnegut. And you will have the chance to pitch in. Stay tuned to kvml.org and our socials at Vonnegut Library for upcoming announcements about Band Books Week, Vonnegut Fest, and the rest of our 2022 events and programs. Welcome to the Vonicast. I am your host, Chris LaFave, and I'm here with my co-host, Sam Bannon. Today we are interviewing the legendary drummer from the band Fish, John Fishman. 22 years ago, Fish played a three-night stand at Deer Creek Music Center, now Ruoff Home Music Center, which, I hear, which I've heard is Deer Creek in German, just north of Indianapolis that involved the song Moby Dick by Led Zeppelin, being played in and out of nearly every song. At the end of the show, lead singer Trey Anastasio thanked the crowd by saying, we are the fish from Vermont. <laughs> Last year, we had the good fortune to show John around the museum, and this year he's once again in town for a three-night stand at Ruoff. So, John, how goes life with the fish from Vermont? The fish from Vermont is alive and well. <laughs> we're, we're still... <laughs> It's kind of a miracle. It's the, I started this band when we were 18 years old, and I'm <coughs> 57. And it's, it's t- <laughs> so again, we're like having a, another musical peak. I think it's one of those things. If you just keep going, you know, it kind of goes up and down like this wave. And I think we're we're kind of we're riding a, the high point of a wave again. I feel like I don't know. I'm t- I guess that's for other people to decide. <laughs> but it feels good to me. It mm-hmm. seems it seems pretty common. I, I'll, I'll, I'll out myself. I'm a pretty big fish fan, and so uh, there does seem to be a common thread that the post-pandemic fish world 
is that you guys are on quite a high right now. Is that because of the relief to be back in the universe to a certain degree? You know, I, I think, yeah, to, I mean, it's funny because we used to joke about, you know, in, in the band, and or when we started to make a living at it, we were like, wow, you know, actually, we if you can make a living at this, it was, Colonel Bruce Hampton had this great saying, because the only people that should try to do this for a living are the people that have no choice. And I remember looking around and thinking to myself, well, I certainly have no choice. And I'm looking at my bandmates and going, yeah, they don't either. This is a good sign. You know, like, like we're all so, you know, and but once if you can manage to, you know, make a living at, you know, you feel really pretty bomb proof because music is an entertainment or any form of entertainment that you can make an actual livelihood from. Is is you know it's sort of needed in both good times and bad. You know when people have expendable income for entertainment, you know then you're you're available and in favor. But when things are really bad, I know for myself too. You know some of the best music that was made was from that time. You know people still seem to kind of scrape by. You know they would choose live entertainment and especially music. So you f you feel like you know you're you're kind of in a you know whether no matter what's happening in the world, you're sort of in a good if you if you can get that far if you can make a living at it, and then this <laughs> germ comes along, you know this microbe, and you go, oh my god, we're going to be the last people back to work. In fact, we may never get to actually work the same way again, ever. Like no no other profession, we're the only profession that's the most screwed. If that yeah. were the case, right? I mm -hmm. mean, doctors, lawyers. Podcast people, you know, every museums. I mean, that's all going to open. But anything that involved, like you know, other than you know, music, any other, like maybe lecture series, you know, anything involving large uh, gatherings of people, you know. So then it was like, man, that could be the thing that never really recovers. And uh, so I think, as it has recovered, and we've gone back to work, and it's uh, there's a level of gratitude in our existence, not just because we, you know, our personal relationship with each other and all remain healthy, but just being able to go back, being aware now that a germ could take it away again at mm -hmm. any point. And in, in fact, in human history, there's probably a higher likelihood of that now than, you know, with all globalization, then you, you even want to know. And so, and so it's, it's like, man, I am going to, I am never going to – I never took it for granted, and now I'm really not taking it for granted. It has actually been taken away for a moment by, by something that looked really dire. And so, I, 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 you know – I mean, I know sooner or later, you know, health, age is going to get you or whatever. But aside from that, you know, I, I want to go to the finish line doing this. As I don't want 30 years of sitting around going – <laughs> we could be playing, but there's this germ yeah. that's stopping us. Yeah. <laughs> I don't. I don't think anyone does. I. I, I think uh, if you live long enough, you see people like. I. I must have seen Bob Dylan in 2019, and mm -hmm. like the more he smashes his face through whatever brick wall is trying to tell Bob Dylan to stop touring. Yeah. The more I respect him, like the more yeah. I love that. <laughs> it's and those guys too. Now for me, at my age, you know, it's like. You know, when self-doubt creeps in a little bit, like, wow, this is, you know. And then I, like, I'll look at some film of Buddy Rich at, like, 68 <laughs> years old just destroying the Johnny Carson show. And you're going, you know what? I got no excuse. Just get, go to the pad, practice. I, I got many good years left in me. If they, you know, if he can do that, I, you know. I mean, I'm, I, I would, my, no part of me, all four of my limbs 
together isn't going to even be his left hand, you know, like on a, on a, on a bad day, even at 68 years old. But mm-hmm. still, it's like, yeah, you see the Dylans, and you're like, all right, you know, he's, the, he's killing it. So once you've been doing this for – I mean, I've been doing this for a living for, yeah. you know – I mean, I'm doing it for 30... Well, I've been playing drums for 50 years. I've been making a living at it for, you know, 30 of them. And and it's it's like what else am i going to do at this point i'm really yeah. not you know <laughs> it, it, it it doesn't it doesn't turn off i you know i think vonnegut's a really good example he said he had his last novel at the tank with timequake and when he died he was working on a novella and i think because he sweated over every <laughs> sentence and was such a perfectionist with it like writing at times especially because he wrote hunched over you know scoliosis yeah. style that must have been physically and emotionally painful at times but he couldn't stop and, 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 and maybe that's a really beautiful thing. You know, we got Phil Esch just announced that he's playing a festival in Chicago with uh, the guys from Wilco as his backing band. Dude, that's, I had a drum a lesson. Show. I had a drum lesson with Joe Morello. From Brubeck's band? Yeah, from three or four months before he died. And he was completely, I, I mean, you were talking about, like, his body. It was He was telling me how, like, the the... Somebody wanted to give him like a lifetime achievement award, and they wanted to fly him out to California, and but they didn't want to give him a first class ticket. And he and he said, "I am not a prima donna. I don't, you know, I don't need it for that because I just don't feel good, and it's hard to sit in an airplane. Like I just want to be comfortable." He was eighty three, I think, at the time, and he was like, uh, and he was all there. I mean, in every in the you know, but his his bot, you know, you could really tell he was he was and he had a pretty big hunch at that point too, and he was pretty, yeah. you know. He and he didn't, he didn't feel good, and he was g- giving me this. Le- and the amazing thing was, you were asking me about carpal tunnel earlier. Yeah. I've never had it because he, when I went to him early on, I was I was actually developing some some stuff, and and someone had told me, I had I had heard an interview with uh, Max Weinberg or, or some somebody that had been a student of his that said that changed his life. They and uh, so I I I went and he he gave me these. His whole thing was like natural hand movement, no no tension and no fatigue. Those were his two big rules, and you just didn't and and everything. So my warm up exercise, I still do every day, no matter what. When I sit before I play anything, is uh, on a not. I do it on a non bounce pad, but I don't think that really matters. But it's a full range of motion. I just I don't use any fingers. I just hold the stick loosely in my hand, which is the fingers just tight enough to actually kind of hold the stick. And, and then just go, you know, all the way down and all the way back up four times on each side, 50 times. You know, one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four, 50 times. And one, two, three, four, five, seven, eight, one, two, three, 50 times, then 12s and then 16s. It takes about 25 minutes. And it's unbelievable how counterintuitive that is because when you're done with that, you, you're, you're like – all over the case you know when you're doing it you're thinking how's this going to improve speed or strength or agility and it does all those things with and i took that lesson from him at a, at a point in my career I was starting to maybe you know having these muscle issues in, yeah. in in up near the elbow and stuff well, and when you're doing the ride symbol at a million miles an hour now, right so. kind of, you know you start and, and and he did that and he t- told me what he told me and i did what he said and I never, all the pain in my forearm went away. I had never had another problem with it. I have not had a problem since. I, you know, a pinched nerve in my neck. I was saying it's like kind of an issue. Yeah. So, but I mean, other than that, like, uh, you know, in terms of like wrists or anything like that, it's, it's never been a problem. Out. And so I went back to him 15 years later 
for another lesson four months before he died. And basically, he was completely broken down, except his hands were still like 20 years old. It was it was guys sitting on the pad, and he was talking about the difference between big band and small small group jazz. And he was demonstrating these things on the pad. It was like, you know, and it was ridiculous. And and I'm looking at his hands, and I'm like, you know, and 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 I'm just thinking like, well, and and, and then his the, it got cut short because he had to do some interview, and his wife came in, and, say, and he was upset because he was like, well, I don't work like this. I don't cut students short their time. You know, Judy, put him down for you know he gets first priority next time he calls or whatever. And uh, and I'm like, it's okay because I got what I came for, which was corroboration that what the confirmation that what he had told me 15 years earlier could not have been more correct. Because when I was looking at his hands, and then four months later he dies, so it's like, well, you know what I mean? His the proof of his, but like you were well, saying, of his genius. I mean, he's uh, a widely legendary drummer. The, it, but 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 just that his technique was so correct in that you know he was there at 83 years old, four months from death, and his hands were still perfect. So just for our listeners, uh, Dave Brubeck, personal hero of Kurt Vonnegut. There's a legendary story about Vonnegut at, also at an advanced age, taking off running in an airport trying to get an autograph from Dave Brubeck. Um, and 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 when Dave Brubeck died, uh, Goose the Market here in Indianapolis created a duck and mozzarella cheese sandwich called the Brubeck in Chris's house of useless knowledge. Uh, but if you ever get the album Jazz Goes to College, I, I think it's uh, I think it's Dave Brubeck live at Oberlin. Uh, you will hear exactly what our guest John Fishman is talking about. Uh, drummer survival uh, lessons from uh, Joe Morello um, through John Fishman. But to begin the show, uh, what was your introduction to the work of Kurt Vonnegut? Um, my introduction to the work of Kurt Vonnegut was um, I read Cat's Cradle when I was 16. You know, it was like uh, early book that and i wasn't much of a, a book reader really i i was you know obsessed with music and had tons of albums and was listening to records all the time and spending most of my time <clears throat> either swimming laps or practicing drums my parents were like you, you have to have a sport they wanted to tire me out before i got to the drum set i think that was the, that was the, so and then um so i i didn't do a lot of reading it was mostly just um you know uh school assignment reading you know and um that was i think the first i think call the wild in second grade i remember being the first like pleasure book i read you know and and i think you know cat's cradle i think was i read the hobbit somewhere in there and you know dune i was in, kind of in the sci-fi and cat's cradle somehow came across the and it, it that was really a game changer for me though i i it, it it's funny that book really <laughs> It destroyed religion for me, for one thing, because it presented the only actual religion I would have been a member of had it really <laughs> existed. I was like, "Well, that's what religion, sh-. you know." It was, yeah. it was really, you know, any of the Bukhunism yeah. was like, "This is, this is really a actual." You know, I, I want my lies to be comforting. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I want my lies to be comforting, or you know, just the, the whole, the the whole. Uh, the the whole car- the caress thing the whole com- you know the whole concept of of uh, yeah you know you, c- you hear people say you know life is unfolding as it should and these kinds of sayings all but that that religion kind of mm-hmm. I felt like was the uh, I don't know formalization of that well it embraced absurdity you know there's that line of the books of Okanon where he says um, 
man or God created mud in his image and man stood up as mud and said, uh, what is the purpose for all of this? And God says, there must be a purpose for all of this. And man says, absolutely. And God looks around and says, then I give it to you to think of something for this. And then he walks away. Yeah. I, like, it's deep Vatican right there. It, I, I mean, I think that's true. Yeah, it's deeply I, accurate. Like, I, it's, think it's, I think that's accurate. If I were God, if I put myself in God's, he's like, well, I don't know, that's your problem. Yeah, I, I, I did something it creative, out. and it's got its ups and downs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Meaning. <laughs> yeah, right? I mean, anyway. Yeah, John, you mentioned the Carass and Cat's Cradle. I watched the uh, the fish documentary on YouTube done by Todd Phillips uh, in 2000, <laughs> and it really, really showed. I mean, obviously we knew it. Obviously, I know it from Chris being in the cult, if you will. But the such a of <laughs> yeah, such a such a cult following of fish. It's almost like it's its own Carass, basically. It's people who like fish. So being in that, being kind of like the cult leader, if you will, quote unquote. What is that like on your end, being the head of like a cult following? Oh boy, that's funny. I uh, boy, I'm gonna, about to make a very ignorant statement, but I have to, in the interest of honesty, I have never thought of it that way, which just seems really <laughs> stupid that I would have overlooked that. But uh, maybe that's the whole thing with cult leaders; that they mm -hmm. don't actually yeah. know what they're doing. Yeah. <laughs> well, it, it depends on it depends on how you mean the term cult. Like, uh, it, there's there's the innocent cult, and then there's the cult that tells you to kill your parents. Um, you know, yes, I, this, I, I, this is the first. Yeah, yeah. Fish, fish uh, doesn't yeah. have the secret lyrics. And trust me, <laughs> yeah. I've listened to your albums enough that I know there's no secret messages. <laughs> yeah. Unless, no, unless the secret right messages <laughs> don't clean your room, then <laughs> in that case, yeah. no, the secret, they're right up front. We're not, we're not secret about the messages. Yeah. <laughs> no, uh, no, we we. Uh, I I guess. Uh, yeah, I don't. I I. I I just can't believe I get to play drums for a living. Yeah. This is kind of the state I, I've been existing in mentally for decades mm -hmm. now. And you know, I, I, I'm, yeah, it's just kind of. Yeah. Well, in, in that uh, documentary, they were, it was kind of followed you guys through Europe and then to a festival you guys did in Limestone, Maine. And it showed these two, two fish heads who had traveled literally for 25 straight days to go see you guys in concert. And I just thought that was absolutely insane. I think it's super awesome, obviously, that they were that dedicated. But the carass is yeah. that is your is, but you don't know you don't actually know who's in your carass. That's yeah, the thing about enough. the carass yeah. is mm -hmm. like you're you're in this group that you don't get to find out mm -hmm. what group you were in until. So the people who might be following fish around, they could be in the same carass with, you know, the people working to put the Mars, you know, the rover on Mars. You know, they yeah. th they're not necessarily all. You know, in this, yeah, fishes, fishes, uh, no, fish, fish would technically be, if I'm, if I'm correct, would technically be a grand falloon, right? The fish, the fish audience, the fish crowd would be a grand falloon, which is a, which is a, uh, like a, a a way in which people divide themselves up that has nothing to do with the way God has divided them up. Okay, that's true, and. Grand Falloon and is a it, false correct. It's true. Yeah. It's true and false, depending on what the, because uh, you know you guys very much like the Grateful Dead can be a little bit leaderless about your cult, and 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 that's to the benefit of everybody. A little know? bit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Thank you for acknowledging that I'm putting this mildly. Because <laughs> I, I, I remember my friend Chris Geik. You know, he's a he's, he's a pharmacist here in India, and he had pit tickets for the for the Deer Creek <laughs> run that you guys just did in 21. 
and he was like, man, that felt really surreal. Like high school me was like looking at me stone cold sober with an N95 mask trying to keep my distance from everybody. <laughs> and like, you know, there's 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 a lot of diversity in the audience for real as, as far as how people kind of came uh, to the situation and also what people like in the show. Some people like type one jams where like, you know, the music is very... Um, uh, there's, there may be a jam, but it's still very coordinated. Whereas, like you know, hour-long pieces of improv, you're not a, you're not really a thousand percent sure where that's going, and that's sometimes what other people. You're a thousand percent sure you don't know where <laughs> yeah. it's going. That's <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I, I love this. I can't wait to play this for an old bandmate of mine. His uh, when I got into jazz, I introduced him to Ornette Coleman, and this was 17 years ago, and he's still very angry at me uh, for for making him listen to an Ornette. Which Coleman. means Ornette really was doing something. Right. Yes, yes, the whole Free Jazz album. He, oh, he was so mad. Which album? Uh, free Jazz. Oh, oh, that is that the one that's like two. It's like it's two, two tracks, it's, two tracks that are like thirty-five oh, yeah, minutes yeah, long. Yeah, yeah, each Oh, I just played a bunch of that on my on the Errant Path. I, yeah, I, it's it's. <laughs> but I, mean, I can't. I couldn't play the whole side because it's longer than like half an hour. <laughs> Dude, you're speaking of aging geniuses. I mean, Ornette Coleman, oh. I saw him for free at the Chicago Jazz Festival, practically in tears the entire time. I told a very attractive woman that she needed to stop talking uh, during the concert, which she <laughs> burst into laughter when I, when I when I said that. She's like, I don't think I've ever had a person tell me to shut the hell up during a concert. That's, that's Ed, never Ed, Bla- <laughs> Ed Blackwell was his drummer, was one of my favorite drummers. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I stole a lot of stuff from him. <laughs> Well, one of his drummers was from New Orleans. They they did have a hell of a lot of... Ri- I'm Charlie Hayden, too, was a freaking yeah, master. Yeah. Um, okay, so, uh, sorry, we're trying to say, stay semi. Speaking of Type 2 jams, uh, we interviewed Type 2 jam style. Uh, you met Kurt Vonnegut in, according to the internet, well, you, you told me 2002, uh, playing the vacuum cleaner in Northampton, Massachusetts, while Kurt read the Canterbury Tales and Kurt's grandson's band played in the background. Tell us a little bit about that. Um, well, actually, I met I met him before that. I went to um, so his son, his grandson Max. Yeah. Uh, um, there was a uh, Entertainment Weekly had done a cover. Uh, we were their cover. You know, fish, fish was the fish cover. Fish was on the cover. Fish yeah. was on the cover, mm-hmm. and they did a feature article on us. And you know, within that article. There was this one of those little, I don't know what they call them, like pull quotes, but it was like a box pull quote thing with each of our, and like a little list of, they had asked each band member, what's your favorite food, what's your favorite movie, what's your favorite book, what's your, you know, and I had said Cat's Cradle is my favorite book, and Max Pryor somehow saw this, got a hold of our office and said, well, Kurt Vonnegut's my grandfather, would John like to come meet him? (laughs) And I go, you know, hell yeah, you know. So I, so I um, am invited on a particular day, and I, I drive down to Northampton, Massachusetts, where he was living at the time, and his um, uh, Max's parents, uh, Nanny and Scott, were, uh, you know. I, so I met Nanny, and Max, and uh, Nanny is Kurt's daughter. I met them at a at a local pizza joint and spent like the whole day just sitting in a booth talking with Na- Max and Nanny and his family and I think Scott joined us at some point or maybe we but at any rate then later that evening we went over to Kurt's apartment and um uh I the only thing I remember about it was walking in and I can't remember if uh 
if uh, Man Without a Country had come out yet, because I know in that book there's that section about the he tells the Paul Mall, you know, he's yeah, going gonna to sue the cigarette company <laughs> because it's written right on the side of the cigarettes and it's guaranteed to kill him, and he's not dead yet. He's pissed, you know. <laughs> so so he's I walk in, or they open the door, and Kurt is um, kind of pacing right there in the this kitchen apartment, and he's like putting on this little act, you know. So I. I yeah, I can't. It's funny. I can't remember whether I'd read that in the book first and he did that, or. But at any rate, he does this thing like, Nanny, I'm going to sue the cigarette company. She's like, What for, Dad? You know? It was almost like a, you know, like a, a delivery. She was like, Nanny was like the straight guy. You know? like, yeah. And, uh, and, Laurel and Hardy. Yeah, yeah. Well, it was funny, man. It was like, yeah, the Smothers Brothers or something. She, she well, what are you going to do? And he's, oh, you know, this says right here, I'm supposed to, supposed to kill me and I'm not dead yet. And she's, Oh, well, you know. And, and then we walk in and sit down, and God, I don't know, man. He asked me one question, and I probably rattled on nervously for half an hour. And then at some point, like, I feel like uh, Nanny kind of, there was a vibe like, yeah, we should go now, you know. And, and uh, I think I had, he had endured enough of me or something. He, he really was just indulging his grandson. You know, he it, he was like a good grandpa, mm -hmm. like his grandson's guy from his favorite band, and all right, I'll meet this clown, you know, like, <laughs> you know, but he was really kind to me, and, you know, I, I just remember him being very, you know, like, uh, hospitable, but then we leave, and I really thought, not, I really thought, you know, thanks, uh, you know, I kind of had the sense, like, eh, he kind of went out of his way, and, you know, don't, don't, don't bother the guy with me, you know, so I, I left. And that was that, right? And I think this was maybe, I don't know, you know, I want to say it was a couple months later or something, but um, I get an a, a email or a phone call or somebody, you know, Max, uh, they get a hold of me and say, well, they're having this talent show in Northampton, and, and they want to know, Max wants to know if you'd join him, come down. And uh, But I kind of made friends with Nanny and Max and his family, you know. Yeah. Like Kurt, I didn't really, you know, I was in his apartment for 45 minutes. But I had connected with these other people, you know, his family. Yeah. So, and, and I had told them how I wanted to make music for the lyrics for Cat's Cradle, you know, stuff. And Nanny actually made me a, um, an album cover. She did album cover art for me, which, had I shown you that? Uh, no, because you, you said you had to go look for it. Yeah, in, yeah, in I ha I'll yeah. send you a picture of it. But at any rate, so, you know, they invite me down to this thing, and I, and, and, um, uh, so, so there's a big snowstorm. So I said, all right, I'll join. Max had a, um, I guess he played bass in a reggae. He's a great musician. I had no idea. You know, he was 16 at the time, and his mom's like, yeah, he's really good. He plays with these high school salsa band thing. And um, anyway, I get down there, and there's like this huge snowstorm. But there's no way I'm going to miss this thing. Is it okay to swear on the podcast? Yeah, yeah, you're okay. fine. Right. We, we just, we just <laughs> yeah. cut it out with Pootsie Weed. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. So I, I'm like, you know, I make it down there, and they're all shocked. I walk in the door, and they're like, oh, my God, you're here. And why, why would I not be here? Like, well, it's a huge snowstorm. Like, I live in Vermont. I'm driving around. I'm from Syracuse. I don't know. Like, driving in the winter wasn't a problem for me. But they felt like I had made this great effort. And so, and then they had these uh, shirt. Everybody's wearing, like, a bowling shirt. It was like a powder blue bowling shirt with, a, with a, uh, a pocket. And it has each of our names monogrammed on the pocket. Mine said John, you know, Mags and Max, Kurt, you know. And on the back, it said Special K and Crew with the asterisk from the, the, the drawing of the from uh, you know <laughs> breakfast of champions, and and uh, and I'm like, oh, this is incredible. So they, we take a group photo, and uh, I'll send you a copy of that. So Max says, yeah, well, I want you to play, you know, 
uh, congas. You, you used to play congas. You know, there's a drummer and stuff. So I don't even know how to play congas. So we go out and we're just playing this groove. Kurt's going to recite, you know, Chaucer. He's going to do you know, the Canterbury Tales. Tales. <laughs> and uh, he does this thing where he, do, you know, we play this groove behind him and he's going to do this thing. And would you play vacuum cleaner? Uh, and I said, well, how, what do you, you know, what do you want me to do with the, you know, how? And he says, well, just, you know, while he's doing that, you just play vacuum also. <laughs> And I'm like, well, I, you know, and again, I'm thinking, does he want me to do this? You know, because he does like going to his apartment, you know, they're like, we'll bring you to grandpa's apartment, you know, like and the guy, like, you know. And so now, now the next thing, the next time I see this guy, you know, I'm on stage. He's doing his, you know, for his talent show and his kids talent, you know, his grandkids talent show. And they just plunk me in there. So I'm like, ah. Oh. Okay, uh, you know, and I said, I think I said something to Nanny, like, if, if this goes wrong, you're going to take the fall for it because, you know, this is like making me look bad. He's going to think I'm just a big jerk. So, anyway, I get up there, you know, and, you know, like, I, there, I'm playing congas, and Kurt, you know, we're doing, I think it was like a couple of tunes or something, you know, a couple of jams. And then Kurt comes out and he starts doing his thing, he starts reciting the. Canterbury Tales and the, this little groove is going on <laughs> and uh, Max is looking at me and he's like oh, you know there's a vacuum cleaner you know it's plugged in and it's all set it's over uh, by a microphone and stuff and and he's like you know go out there go 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 you know and no one I don't think anyone told Kurt you know that he because I remember, play a vacuum cleaner well, so. because I remember him looking I do remember him looking over at this other microphone with a vacuum cleaner at the base of it, you know, it yeah. was all set up, and mm -hmm. it looked to me like the look on his face looked like he thought that that was some prop for the next act, you know, like he, <laughs> oh, what's that? Uh, okay, whatever. That's you know, that must be for the next people. Well, when when I was looking over our notes, you know, going into this episode, I saw that Chris had written the question. You played the vacuum cleaner in Northampton, Massachusetts, and I thought that was the name of a venue. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> I was like, oh, that's a cool place. That would be a great yeah. name for a venue. So the now, vacuum cleaner. That's, I'm, i got to yeah. remember that. i got to open a bar called the vacuum cleaner. <laughs> so I'm, I'm elated to find out that you actually did play a vacuum cleaner. No, yeah. Well, what, it, what was that like? Yeah. Well, it's, you know, because I do it in fish sometimes, but it's a, it's, it was, it, it was a, a joke that went way too far and way too deep into our career. But <laughs> so, uh, and, and, uh, uh, but so so there's the thing sitting there, and uh, so Max is you know go go you know, so I I just walk up and I and he's reciting the thing and I I kind of wait like I've got I turn the thing on and I'm kind of waiting and there's like a pause in his thing and I just start going, <laughs> you know making you know you hold up your mouth and it makes horrible sounds, yeah. and the look. I, Maybe one of the great moments of my life was the look. Certainly one of the great moments of my life was like his head just turns like and just cocks toward me, and he just this look on his face like what the f is going on over there, like what you know? And I and I'm like, but and he, but his face just lit up, and he immediately he just he it, we immediately started trading fours. Like I did a thing, and he goes. You know, room to have her, she's a rug, you know, like that thing. And then he looks at me, like, go, like your turn. And I go, like, you know, and then he just, and we go back and forth like this, like, uh, you know, like four, eight times. You know, it was like four bars, eight bars, you know, it was like, it was like a trading force. And, uh, 
man, he was thrilled <laughs> with that. So I, I was really relieved. And then afterwards, he, he then that's when he, he after that whole then you know I went home eventually and, and then he sent me that uh, this really nice note like thanks for being such a good friend and you know and this this, silk screen print and this just shocking. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, a, like, a lot of a lot of people will know this silkscreen that uh, that Fish, that John Fishman is talking about as Tralfamadorian polychrome. Um, I've heard it referred to as Tralfamadorian movie star, mm -hmm. uh, which yeah. I liked that title. Be That's better. what he's titled it on the poster. He sent me two. One was the is the the uh, you know was like his he as his submission to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame's yeah uh, for the hook line a sinker the, yeah the and fish the, cover album <laughs> that for an album that never existed but the a real band and then and then another one that's just it says Trout Famidorian movie star yeah is it's titled underneath and that's like a I bigger that poster one. yeah yeah that was certainly one of my favorite and most memorable moments in life yeah, it was really really. Uh, well, enjoyable. And, and can you talk a little bit about the Calypso project, the uh, the Cat's Cradle Books of Bokanan thing that you wanted to work on? Yeah, so I, you know, it's like one of these. It, it may actually happen um, someday. It'll take oh, me I'll, thirty I'll years. It, I'll nag you if you I want. know, I know. You should. You probably should. This. I feel like this is kind of you know part of it. Maybe is uh, so in the Books of Bokanan. The wisdom of the religion is disseminated through calypsos as opposed to psalms or hymns, you know, this is joyful. And um, so, you know, and they're, the, the, when you read them, like uh, Lion Hunter in the Jungle Dark, what is it, Lion Hunter, Chinese Dennis in the... Uh, in, in, the in Central like, Park... Um, a, 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 a Chinese dentist and a British queen all fit together in the same machine. Nice, yeah, nice, very, very nice. nice. So, many different so many different people. So many people in the same device. Yeah, yeah, so many different people in the same device. You know, and it like really, ro I mean, he write. they're so lyrically, you mm -hmm. can hear the, how they would fit in, you know, you know, a tiger, tiger got to hunt. Bird uh, got to fly. Bird got to fly. Man got to sit and wonder why, why, why. Mm -hmm. Bird, bird got to, you know, tiger got to sleep. Bird got to land. Man got to tell himself he understand, you know, mm -hmm. like it. And, and I, when I heard, when I read that, you know, uh, tiger got to hunt, bird got to fly, man got to uh, ask himself, why, why, why? I hear like, like, like the women in Bob Marley's band going, why, why, why? You know, like this, why, why, why? Like this kind of, you know, female. Like, and I heard, like, so when, for me, when I was reading these things, I'd hear these sort of musical, like, melodies that might go with it or something. Yeah. And I'm not really a songwriter really that much. It's like, but it just, the, the, the words are written so musically. They, they just, they, they almost, so, so my thought was, I want to put music to these lyrics, and I actually asked Vonnegut, so, oh, oh, so in the middle of the, of the book, too, there's the, um, the death rites, for the Baconanist, you know, the we put our feet together. Yeah. And the repeat after me, God made mud. Some of the mud got to sit up. I'm all grateful that I got to be some of the sitting up mud. W what incredible thing you made here. Uh, you know, I'm so much luckier than so much mud. Uh, so much mud got so little. I got so much, you know, all that stuff. Now I'm going to go back to being mud. Uh, thank you for everything I've gotten to see. You're so great, God. You know, it's incredible. So I, I called him and I told him about this idea. Like, I want to make music for all these lyrics. And, you know, is that okay? And he said, he did send me a postcard at one point that said, you can do whatever you want with anything I did. And I don't have that postcard anymore, unfortunately. <laughs> but so, so would you like to be the, uh, the person, the reading, person it. reading it? And he goes, nope. 
<laughs> and it was so great and, you know it's like this long and he was so you know, again super patient gracious guy listens to my whole spiel says no but I said alright well I just felt like I had to ask at first but anyway that's been in the back of my mind that project though I want to put the music to all that and then you know have this sort of centerpiece be the spoken death rights thing and then have it conclude with the end of end of the world you know so you've recorded actual demos for this project I have yeah I'm really glad that you had the time to tell that story because it's a pretty fantastic story um, Vonnegut surely went out of his way to especially for musicians uh, which he saw it as such an incredibly high art form. We actually have a Vonnegut and Jazz exhibit in the Vonnegut Museum right now that features Kurt Vonnegut's clarinet. And he has this, oh, wow. he has this hilarious story about how he was sharing a cab uh, home from Norman Mailer's house with Betty Goodman and how he told Betty Goodman that he used to play a little licorice stick. <laughs> and uh, I can't wait to have T-shirts made yeah. that say Kurt Vonnegut's <laughs> licorice stick on them. Uh, you've done plenty of traveling. So Vonnegut said, peculiar travel suggestions are dancing lessons from God. Can you name some favorite places and places you're still dying to go? It's so funny is that uh, a, a guy just contacted me to potentially do a recording session in Iceland in November. And I'm like, you got to be kidding. Because I've been wanting to go to Iceland for a, long, a while. You know, it's kind of, that's, that is one of the, would be one of the answers. Yep. <laughs> and, uh. I mean, places I've gone that I that I you know I, I got to go to Tanzania in 1995, and I, awesome. I got to go to to Chile in um, in '98, uh, and um, you know we've been to Japan, we played in Japan a couple times, but I got to go be a tourist there with some uh, Japanese friends at one point, and um, those are some pretty killer shows from your Japan trip. Yeah, yeah, the, 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 those were those were that was a lot of fun playing there. <laughs> Um, I always felt like very liberated playing there because I felt like we can do we can go as far out as we want here and you know they're not gonna blink an eye you know, they're just gonna be like more like is that all you got you know it's, I feel like you know that's it was like a challenge like mm -hmm. you know to, so I had a lot of really good times there went to the Chiapas region in Mexico went up to San Cristobal Mexico nice to study uh, I joined a friend who was studying textiles and. And uh, that was pretty cool. It was way off the beaten track. That was that was the most insane bus ride of my life. Was the this guy that was our bus driver? Holy smokes, man! I was sure. I really was sure I was gonna die. I just <laughs> I and and then and then we drove. It was like from Mexico City to San Cristobal and survived the trip. And I thought, oh man, you know. And then oh, like a week goes by and we're going to the bus station to go back. And I'm thinking, oh no, that road and that, you know, thing. Well, we won't have the same driver, you know. And we show up and it's the same guy, you know. He's got, it was really funny. He had a gold tooth and it's like this big hairy chest and his shirt was like half open, you know, like down to his belly button. And, uh, and he, and his, and he's got these gold chains and, uh, and a gold earring and a gold tooth, and his hair's like all slicked back, and he just has like one foot up on the stairway, the bus, like the entrance bus, and he just, he, each person is coming out, he just go, hola. Just like that. <laughs> he had this like way of, it was like, the guy was out of a cartoon or something. like, And it, he he drove like he looked. He was, that guy was a wild man. But he, he got us there safely and back. But, oh. I think we They're, did. I think we did Vonnegut well on the peculiar travel. <laughs> you, you, you are yeah. a well-traveled man. I've loved every place we played. Well, as we begin to wind down the interview in this <clears throat> this podcast episode, we will now do our 
very famous, world famous, dare I say, speed round. Ooh. John, we will uh, ask you 10 rapid-fire questions. We will alternate uh, Vonnegut-related questions with general questions uh, to say the very first thing that comes to your mind. Uh, John Fishman, are you ready? I, I guess so. All right. So the first question, uh, Trey Anastasia, of course, you know him. He's your lead singer of Fish. He once told Sirius XM that his first impression of you was uh, love at first sight at a long-haired guy with a tie-dye shirt uh, to his knees and a Coke bottle glasses. What was your first impression of him? Yeah, my first impression of him was, who, wh who was that? Who was that guy? You know, yeah. If you could play any Vonnegut character in a movie, who would it be? I don't know that many characters. The uh, Bokonon. I would play Bokonon. I would play Bokonon. I would love to play Bokonon. How many outfits do you pack when you go on tour? I pack seven T-shirts, one extra pair of pants, two pairs of shorts if it's a summer tour, uh, <laughs> seven underwear and like five pairs of wool socks and a goggles, a bathing suit, and earplugs if I go swimming, and my toilet kit. Uh, oh, and sweatpants, a pair of gym shorts, and uh, I believe that's it. You're oh, and a sweatshirt. Sometimes if it's cold, <laughs> it's a fall tour mm -hmm. that gets the sweatshirt. Mm -hmm. Summer tours, you get no sweatshirt. Yeah, do you guys travel by bus or plane? Um, on the long hauls between si longer places. Like, so if in, on the summer tour on the East Coast, we're going, like, from, I don't know, Philly to D.C. or something like that. We'll, we'll drive. But if it's a longer, like, we flew from South Carolina to here yeah. today. But we, so, yeah, longer hauls, we fly now. Uh, your favorite Vonnegut quote. <clears throat> so it goes. If you could rename fish to anything in the world, what would it be? Rename fish? You could re if you could pick any name in the yeah, whole we're, world. We're speaking of the hellhole that is uh, four guys trying to name a band because I've been <laughs> I've been there and it's a long process. <laughs> well, hold on, let me consult my list. Of, <laughs> of, Perfect. I know this is a speed round, but I, I gotta I gotta I gotta just at least let's let me just look at my list of uh, here. Uh, uh, actually, tardigrade. The Tardigrades. That would be that would the Tardigrades might be a good name for a band. Mm -hmm. <laughs> the Tardigrades. I might I might go with that. The Vonnegut book you think could be most easily turned into a jam session. Oh. My guess is Cat's Cradle since yeah, you Yeah, probably Cat's yeah. Cradle would be. A uh, a musical artist or group who you really enjoy, which might surprise some people. Well, I'm a huge fan of Cattle Decapitation. They were they I I don't know if they're like around right now, but they that was uh I think people kind of know about that because I ran about him on my radio show from time to time. Folks, John Fishman hosts a radio show called The Errant Path, if you want to check it out. It's pretty fantastic. Two, uh, two questions to go here in the speed round. If uh, Tralfamadorians, the aliens in Slaughterhouse-Five, came to abduct you and take you to one of their zoos, would you let them? Yeah, probably. <laughs> I mean, if I knew I could come back, mm -hmm. I mean, you know, but yeah. the zoos are nice, right? It's like a nice apartment. Yeah, Montana stuff. Wild Hack is hanging out there. The, yeah, yeah. The Trump Famidorian <laughs> is very friendly. Yeah, they're, I mean, they're, yeah, they're, they're yeah, sure. Yes, yeah. yes, I would do that. Yeah. And then the uh, final question here in the speed round Would you rather be John Fishman or John Aquaman? <laughs> John Aquaman. No, I think I'll stick with Fishman. I think, yeah, I'm kind of used to it. John Fishman, thank you so much. Um, we're really grateful to the time you've taken and uh, and the support you've shown us. We're glad that Kurt Vonnegut made you laugh about things that aren't funny necessarily, and uh, and and that's a gift that is uh, kind of rare in the world. 
Uh, here at KVML, we champion the legacy of Kurt Vonnegut and the <clears throat> principles of free speech and common decency. In a world where both are under attack every day, do you have a message for the citizens of Earth? Well, you know what? I You asked me about Vonnegut's favorite quote, and I, I drew a blank there for a second uh, when I said, so it goes. Mm -hmm. I have a T-shirt yeah. that says, so it goes. But I, actually, I would say the damn it be kind mm -hmm. is really – it. it that was the thing for me that I – so I'll just say this little final thing, which is that at the time that I met him, which was really interesting, what was going on for me personally was I was having a little bit of difficulty dealing with the fame of like Fish had, was really starting to get pretty well known. And like – and it's not like Rolling Stones fame, but it's like it, – it doesn't matter. It's all scale. If you – I just think the human psyche wasn't totally made to be idolized. Like, you, you were like herd animals that are... Well, and by 1999, <laughs> when you guys had something like 50,000 people hanging out outside of Deer Creek, I mean, my mother, when she dropped us off, was terrified, and she I think she's still a little mad about it. So, I mean, you guys had that following, Yeah, it where it was probably hard to avoid to a certain degree. Well, it's the people who know us really know us, and the people who don't really don't, and so it's kind of this, per in a certain way, as fame goes, it's like this perfect balance, because I, for the most part, I live a pretty normal life, and then people, when they find, the, they'll go, oh, I heard a fish, and and then may, they might Google it, and they might get a little weird after that, but the, <laughs> but it's still, like, pretty outside of most people's radar, but yeah. people are really into it, are, and, and so that's great, but I was, I, like, there was a lot of, um, I, I hadn't, I hadn't set a lot of boundaries around it. Like, for yeah. one thing, I, 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 you know, so a lot of people were showing up at the hotel asking for autographs. So like, you know, you'd come out to go to your bus to go to sound check, and first thing in the morning, there's like a ton of people waiting outside for like sign stuff. And at first, I didn't know how to deal with that. And, and I don't, I just don't sign autographs, you know, now outside hotels, you know, because it's just like this one, it's, it's almost like people waiting outside your house. You yeah. know, for something like that, in a way, when you're on the road as much as we have been, and um, but I was, ha I I I just was in a place where I was struggling where to set boundaries, right? I I didn't. It was just all going along, and then suddenly there was just like all this energy coming at you, and people asking stuff of you, and you, you kind of you didn't want to say no to anything, but you don't want to come off as, you know, and so it's like you're like where you know what. What are my rights here, right? What what's reasonable for me to say no to, and and what should I say yes to, and uh, and you know Vonnegut is so much more famous than me, and so much more physically recognizable, and very unique, you know, kind of presence uh, visually, and the tall guy, and and uh, and I felt like he was so kind to me, he was so gracious, like oh above and beyond what I would have ever expected or thought, you know, and I, I really came away from that going, man, you know what, if he can, if he can manage his level of fame and, and manage to actually live up to that sentence, damn it, be kind, because he really was, and, and, and every interaction I, and I know he was a curmudgeonly guy, like, I, I know enough about him from, like, his family and just from hanging out with him that he didn't really suffer fools well right on a certain but he but he did like he he really dealt with it with a level of grace that i thought was like man if he can do that and then, then i can too and i cannot i can manage to just not be an 
give people my time, give them my energy, and I can have a boundary around that, but there's like a kind way to be toward people in general, and no matter how unreasonable they might be being, and I witnessed people being unreasonable toward him, really unreasonable, yeah. and he was so <laughs> nice, and I was like, and I knew internally he was fatigued. You know, and it was really something to, you know, and I know just the way he treated me was, you know, so I think that he really lived up to that statement. And so I think that that's maybe that's my favorite quote. Yeah, I think 20 years of being a broke, <clears throat> struggling uh, author, just just the way you read into him in interviews in the 70s and stuff like that, like the shell shock of being like, oh, my God, I made it. I made it. I'm above water. I'm in a boat that's unlikely to sink. Right. At 46 years old, that has to be, you're like, oh, my God, I am so lucky. Damn, I'm lucky. And the, and the shock there is, is tremendous. Right, there's a gratitude you have by that point because you know enough about life that you, you know. That you, it could you have gone the, the, <laughs> the other way. It could have gone the other way. John, thank you so much for your time and joining us here today on the Vonicast. Uh, listeners, you can head over to fish.com to see and hear more from John Fishman and Fish. Until next time, Vonnegutians, stay tuned to kvml.org and our socials for more exciting episodes coming soon. Around the next corner's a red bird. His feathers are trapped in a sling. He's trashed by some bum-slinging parrot. His jealousy ain't got no wind. There ain't no time for stars to gumbo. Rattle around in a cage. Sacrifice cars made bubbles. His fiddle is everywhere. Thanks for listening to the Vonicast. We hope you enjoyed our conversation with John Fishman. To see and hear more from John Fishman, head to fish.com. Stay tuned to kvml.org and our socials at Vonnegut Library for info on all of our events and programs, including new episodes of the Vonicast coming soon. The Vonicast is a co-production by the Kurt Vonnegut Museum and Library in WQRT, Indianapolis. Special thanks to our guest, John Fishman. The Vonicast is produced by Fiona Duffy and Drew DeSimone. Audio mix and editing by Nick Corey. Cover art by Rusiak P. Vaitsian. Vonicast episodes and all other KVML programming can be found on kvml.org and on our Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Vonnegut Library. Tales of God in the with glee.